On this episode of In the House, we sit down with Wade Lombard. Wade is the founder of Square Cow Movers, based out of Austin, Texas. Wade shares some of the lessons he has learned over the past 15 years with the company. He defines what it means to be grounded in excellence and offers a boots-on-the-ground perspective to managing projects and running a business. We hope you like this episode. If you do, share with a friend and give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. Welcome to this episode of In the House. Today we are speaking with Wade Lombard. Wade is the director of the home care division at Douglas Construction, uh, but he is also the founder of Square Cow Movers based out of Austin, Texas. So Wade, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for having me here, man. It was an honor to be asked. Absolutely. Well, uh, uh, first thing I want to I want to hear about your background. I know you're you're originally not from Texas, right? That's so, right. And you give us your kind of your story and how you wound up here. Yeah, absolutely. So born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. So um, spent all of my early years in the great state of Alabama. Lots to say about that. Probably better to be said at another time <laughs> and not to be recorded. Um, but both uh, my parents and their families are from Alabama. Spent uh, 18 years, graduated from Hoover High School. Uh, Hoover High School, go Bucks! And then we went to. Um, then I went to go to school in Tennessee for college, studied business, and then um, so yeah, Birmingham. So we moved to Austin in 2008. So we've been here almost 15 years. Wow, it's crazy. Very cool. Yeah. Well, so what what brought you to Austin initially? So it was 2007 that oh, okay. I was uh, I lost my job. Uh-huh. It was a it was a really challenging time. So I had a, uh, obviously been married at that point for about five years. We had a 15 month old. My wife was mm. eight months pregnant with our second, and I get laid off from my job. What did you do? So I was in actually full time ministry, um, and so uh, huh. grew up. Dude, in I didn't know that. That was a complete like portion curf- of your history. I had no idea. That yeah, strong you're faith. A, very cool, man. Yeah, awesome. And so, um, but unfortunate the way that that ended. But so, and my dad was in the mortgage business in 2007. You guys know anything about that era? It was not a great time <laughs> to be uh, trying to you know originate mortgages. Yeah. And so what happened was my, my older sister and her husband um, were planting a church here in Austin, Texas. And he's a Texas guy. And uh, we decided to move out here and help them with that church, start a business, and let all the grandkids or the cousins grow up together. So at that point, there was eight boys, eight and under, um, two of which were mine. And then as soon as we moved out here, it was five straight girls. So eight straight <laughs> boys, five straight girls, so it was 13 cousins. And I live eight minutes from my dad. I live, um, you know, eight minutes from both my sisters. They both have five kids each. And so all these kids get to grow up together. And so we built a business while they um, started a church. So it's pretty special. That's cool. What church was it? So they started a church called Free Chapel. And it was out in Lakeway. And so what we would do is we started this business that moved furniture around. And so six days in a row, we would move furniture all day long. And on the 7th, on Sunday, we'd get up and we'd set up and tear down this church um, in, a, in an elementary school. Wow. 
And so it was three years of getting up early and moving stuff around. <laughs> and so yeah. it was um, every day, every day. And it was an interesting, when I look back on it, you know, um, when, what's the saying? I wish the good old days you knew when it was, it wasn't uh-huh. in hindsight, you know? And so we didn't have two nickels to rub together. Um, and we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have any experience in what we were doing. But I look back on those times when we were trying to scrape it all together at both the church and the business. And you know what? We had we had a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a good time. Yeah. That's, a, that's man, such an interesting... I, I, I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't even know you were in the, the ministry and, and, and you helped with the church. Is, is it still going? Is it still around? Or? So the church is still going. It's kind of morphed a little bit. My brother-in-law, who had launched the church um, about three years ago, felt like he was supposed to exit the ministry and then go back into the marketplace. And so he's a financial advisor now. And But no drama. There's nothing. Um, yeah. And the church is doing well. And everybody's doing great. So very cool. Yeah, it's great. So you're working, you know, with this church and, and you're starting a, a business. This was a, a family business, right? It, it was you right. and, and your my dad and my um, younger sister's husband. Yes, okay. so it was a family business. And the three of us launched this business in 2008, the worst year since the Great Depression to start a business, especially one tied to housing was 2008. If you look at the data, and this is the year that we decided to, to start this business. And so a lot of people ask, you know, why the moving industry? So we actually, a couple of insights around that. Most moving companies were started by movers who became businessmen. And so we like to think of ourselves as businessmen who became movers. And so mm-hmm. we backed into it a little differently. Um, we looked at a lot of different businesses in the end of 07 and the beginning of 08. We ended up um, in all these different conversations with people who are selling businesses or expanding through franchising. And we met up with a friend of a friend who owned moving companies and he owned them coincidentally with his son and his son-in-law. And it just so happened to be my dad, his son, myself, and uh, his son-in-law, my brother-in-law. And we ended up in his living room. And this guy, to be honest, was mean as a snake and country as cornbread, but he showed us a lot of kindness. It was very strange. We sat in his living room and he showed us all the numbers and he said, this is how we did it. And here's what you know about the industry or what we found out that day. There's low barriers to entry. You need a box truck, you need a strong back. And at the time I was 27 years old and my brother-in-law, Derek, was 25 years old. And, um, and at that point you were in business. And so we didn't have a lot of capital and we didn't have a lot of options. And we said, we think we can do this. We think there's a gap in the industry around serving other people, communicating well, um, a focus on culture. And so we think we can fill that gap. And so we ordered two trucks and about three months later we were in business. So the first move we ever did was moving ourselves from Birmingham to, to Austin, Texas. And it was a disaster. It was terrible because we didn't know what we were doing. But we made it and there we go. So that... Why 2000, you said it started in 2007. Did it start out of necessity? Like you just had no, you felt like you maybe had no other options and you just had to, like what what really brought it about? I mean, you yeah. said you said the biggest question is why moving? But my, my question is- Why then? Why then? Yeah. Um, I would have never chosen 
to go through what we went through and losing our, our job at the church. My dad was in the mortgage business and that was going so terribly bad mm-hmm. um, in 2008. My brother-in-law, who's our other business partner, was he's an accountant by trade. And um, he realized the guy that he was working for was uh, stealing money from their mm. their clients. Okay. And so what happens every now and then is there's... Uh, a group of people that are all find themselves in a, in a point of transition and it was at the right time. So we can look at this from a couple of different angles, Lonnie, we can look at it from the angle of, man, you guys started no way, terrible time, a, a, a company tied to housing, terrible time. Or we can look at it like this somehow, some way, three family members were all at a time where they needed to transition to something different. And it just so happened to be at a time when another family member needed help. Mm-hmm. And that entire family, there's something about family, right? And so when your goal is, you know what, we don't know how this is going to end up. We don't know where this is going to go, but we're going to do it together. So we all move to a new place. And the purpose is altruistic. And there's nothing selfish about your decision making. And we moved to Austin. And what I believe, Austin, Texas was the most pivotal time it could have been to start a business like we started. And we happen to be on the ground level of something incredible that's happened over the last 15 years. So I did this talk not too long ago. And for the purpose of this talk, I wanted to explain, um, you know, it was a faith-based talk. Mm -hmm. But I showed a map of Austin. And um, I put a dot where uh, my house is. Mm -hmm. And then I put a little dot where our business was when we started in 08. We started out of this little storage facility. And I said, we were nothing. We were were in obscurity. It was three family members and two trucks at the time in 2008. And I said, "Um, we didn't know, we, literally my daughter who was born in 2009, I mean, you know, the the state of Texas paid for for that. I mean, that's how destitute we were. And uh, and then I drew this big circle down in um, South, East Austin, I said, this is where Tesla is going right now, right? Tesla and the Boring Company and SpaceX and all of what Elon's brought. And then I drew another circle downtown and said, Oracle's bringing 15,000 jobs here. And then this is where uh, Apple's building their billion dollar campus up here north of downtown. Mm -hmm. And then we have IBM is over here. We have Dell up here. And so none of this was happening when we moved here in 08. (laughs) But our belief is God knew. God knew all that was coming. Yeah. And so we had to get started in obscurity in order to be ready. And we grew from obscurity to the largest moving company in Austin um, over the next 10 years. And so we could be ready for all those people. And so we felt like we were here at a special time when a lot of people were scratching their heads saying, what are you guys doing? This feels like an absolute disaster. And so that's the story. Dude, that feels just like Noah building the ark. Hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Right. We were just we were just talking about that in, in church uh, Sunday. Yeah. Like Noah Noah built this ark. Do you know how long it took him to build the ark? I don't remember. 120 years. Wow. It took him 120 years for one man and and his two sons and his family and his family to build the ark and you know everybody was laughing at him and saying how he was crazy and. You know, it, it. You know, up to that point, they, they didn't have any floods. He was basically building this giant ship in the middle of the desert, and 
but you know he stuck to it and and he knew you know he, he was very faithful and and he knew that he was very faithful and and he just trusted god and and um eventually all the animals started showing up and uh 120 years later you know well it's not obedience if you're doing something you want to do you know what I'm saying? That's mm. you know that's not what obedience looks like. Obedience is is when you're doing something you don't want to do, right? That's so if someone say says yeah. someone says, "Hey, just so you know, in 15 years you're gonna you're gonna be part owner in the in the largest moving company in Austin, one of the largest privately owned companies, moving companies in the state that that is continuing to grow." That would have been an easy yes, right? But I didn't know any of that, and neither did my dad, and neither did my brother-in-law. But we but we showed up in faith. And so I think there's something I think there's something honorable in those decisions when you don't know the results, you don't know what the outcome's going to be, but you do it anyway. That's what obedience looks like. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's very well said. I've never never thought about that. Like obedience is um, doing something you, you don't want to do. Is that what you said? Yeah, doing it's you don't ne- do? obedience is never doing something you want to do. That's true. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's nothing painful about that. Yeah, that's true. Well, so, okay, so 2007, 2008, you, you started this company, you got two trucks. I mean, where does it go from there? I mean, how do you, how do you grow this thing? Yeah. You know, where, where are you? So, we had listened to the guy that had um, kind of mentored us, and he grew so quickly. He grew... The problem with that is listening to somebody else who grew really quickly is your expectations start to get set towards against his. This was disastrous for us um, because we grew nothing like he did. We grew very, very slowly. And when I talk to other people who start and and are trying to grow businesses, it's so often they say, "Man, we're if we could just put fuel in the fire." It, it, there's something there's something there's some lever we haven't pulled or some button we haven't pushed and when we do the hockey stick is going to go and um, I caution people from that line of thinking because my belief is you grow by the power of one and in those early years especially in those early months it was how can we move one more sofa this month just just one more and then it became, how can we move one more house this month? How can we add one more driver? If we can just add one more driver, just one more job on a Saturday. Because Saturday's the big moving day. How can we add just one more truck to our fleet? So if we can get to this place, we can add a truck. And then how can we add just one more branch? So let's open in Houston. It's all by a multiple of one. And that mentality puts you in a place with incremental success. And you, we overestimate what we can get done in the short term. We underestimate what we can get done in the long term. If you think, man, I'm going to have this to-do list. I'm going to get it all done today. No, you're not. But if you think where you were 10 years ago, you're like, oh, my goodness. How much have we gotten done in 10 years? would have never imagined. This is amazing. It's because we so often overestimate what we can do in a day, in a week, in a month, but we underestimate what we can do over time. And we caught, we found ourselves in that position where over the course of two years, three years, here's what happened that was really interesting to me. We spent the first three years on a truck every day, and if we weren't on a truck, we were begging people to let us move them, okay? And 
we could tie every phone call back to, oh, you know what? That's Miss um, Johnson's neighbor, and she told us she was going to tell her neighbor about us. Or, hey, uh, we remember that Mr. Smith was going to go because the guy in the cubicle next to him was moving. And so we, we could tie it all back. We knew exactly where every referral came from. Well, what happened about year three is people would call and they couldn't even remember and we couldn't tie it back and the flywheel's going, right? And you're not pushing as hard on the flywheel. At first, you're just pushing it to go an inch. Well, now the flywheel's going and we couldn't tie everybody back. And then the phone really starts ringing. And you go quickly from the issue of we can't make payroll to we can't keep up. (laughs) And then you have infrastructure problems, which we had um, from year three to about year eight as we were trying to figure things out. And it was because it was a multiple of one. And we just tried to grow it at that multiple. And it was five really, really tough years. You know, lean Christmases. You know, I'd show up to my kids' birthday parties. I'd get there. I'd be late. And I'd look like I'd given up on life. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's like, oh, Kimberly's husband's not doing well. Um, but that's the way it is. It's front-loaded like everything else. Um, it's much harder at the beginning. And if you're doing it right, though, you're going to reap the benefits at the end. Just like retirement, just like weight loss and anything else is front-loaded. How did you get, so now you're in the home care industry. Mm-hmm. So how, how did that jump happen? So I think I still have a lot of friends and family who are still asking that same question. Okay. Um, two years ago, I uh, found myself in a very interesting place where I had spent 13 years every single day waking up to try to build a business. And feeling like I had lost the passion for that business. And if you guys know, and I don't, I don't want to be overly vulnerable here, but I'm, I'm going to go there. Um, so my mom was very sick and she was um, right toward the end of her life two years ago. We just had her two years from her passing last week. And if nothing else, someone close to you passing put you at a place of reflection. And I was already feeling this urge to go pursue other things. And so I went to my business partners and my, my dad and my brother-in-law and I said, I think it's time for me to leave Square Cow. One of the hardest decisions I've ever made. Um, a, you know, from my, from the, the heavy lift that I did at Square Cow was building a culture, um, the marketing and sales, the branding, the things that I love about a business, those were in, in my lane, and I was kind of walking away from those things that I loved. Um, but I felt like it was right. And so I spent a year, what I, what I say, wandering. I went and helped a friend with his business for a year. He owns a commercial landscaping business, and... Um, I'm involved in a couple other businesses uh, that take a, a very small fraction of my of my time. And then I'm on a trail run with a close friend of mine named Ryan, who I, uh, we were running together three or four days a week. And he starts talking about how he built a relationship with a guy named David. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is his business. And I was like, you don't have to tell me anymore. I know all about that guy. Because I love homes, as I've shared earlier. I love houses. And it is the thing that I, I love. Now, here's what's interesting about the difference between me and you guys. I don't know anything about construction. 
I don't know anything about building, but I know how to serve and I know about home services. I know how to walk into someone's home and serve them well. And I heard about this business that David had started by accident where he would get to the end of constructing these unbelievable properties and the clients still needed services. They needed air filters replaced and ice ice machines cleaned out. And they had these little small projects and he constantly kept saying yes and he created this division called Home Care. And he was looking to take that to the next level. And I'm I'm on the run and I'm and I'm listening and I just said, look, man, I don't I don't know if I'm a puzzle piece on that, but I want to learn more. So if if it ever comes up, I would love to continue that conversation. And within a couple of weeks, I'm sitting in over at Dalglish Construction Company's offices and I'm talking mm-hmm. to David Dalglish, a guy who I'd admired from a distance, not because of him, mm-hmm. but because of his work. And um, we started a relationship and that went over about six to eight months of conversations and it led me to this position where I'm saying, hey, let me come in and see if I can't take this bull by the horns and do something with it. And I have enjoyed every second of it. Here's the thing. If you, if you're, if you love things done with excellence, you love when other people do things with excellence and you mm-hmm. want to rub shoulders with those people is Dave Ramsey says thoroughbreds love running with thoroughbreds. And I'm not putting myself in the same, you know, level as, as David or even you guys as I walk around the properties of the things you guys build. I can't I can in good conscience put myself there. I disagree with that. I think you should. But, <laughs> but I know excellence when I see it and I want to be a part of it. So Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's I mean, selfishly, that's probably one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I want to surround myself with people who who I admire and I think are, um, who strive for excellence. Um, so, and, and that's something I've, I've admired, it, it, like you from afar, yeah. uh, David's, you know, desire to really surround himself with, with good people. That's right. Um, good, like high achieving people. Um, so I've, I've admired that and it's something I, I try to, to do myself and, and to copy. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so now you're in home care. You, you recently gave a talk of, of which, you know, I was in attendance, but you gave this talk about, uh, it was called Cows and Culture. Yeah. Can you, ex- I, so I, I really enjoyed this talk. You gave 10, 10 points, um, and, and I kind of wanted to dive into that. If you could kind of explain what the Cows and Culture means and then we can kind of go into each point of, yeah. uh, of that discussion yeah so let me start with this um, one of the things that changed my perspective on um, how to live my life was that guy back in um, in Tennessee that that told us about his moving company remember I mentioned him mm-hmm. earlier mean is a snake country is cornbread mm-hmm. what changed my life about that guy was he he lived open-handed in other words he didn't say hey guys this information is proprietary Mm. hey you know what i've built this you guys got to figure it out on your own instead he said hey let me tell you what i know and then we went back to him later and said hey we're going to really do this this is a real thing this is happening 
can we pay you as a consultant to just really tell us what you know? And he said, you won't give me a dime. But if you want to go to my branch in Atlanta and Wade, you want to go to my branch in Chattanooga, I will tell my teams to open up the floodgates. You can ask them any question for an entire week and they will be instructed to give you everything. Every spreadsheet, every marketing, everything they do, you will have, you'll have it all at your fingertips. So here's what happens. When someone extends grace to that level, undeservingly, you then extend grace to others. And so as you guys, as the Dalquish team was putting together this event, um, I went to Sarah, who mostly manages that, and I just said, hey, just so you know, I, I've been here about eight seconds, just so you know. <laughs> but, but I can talk. I have a couple of talks I can give, and if that adds value, it's yours. That sounds self-serving, like I'm, I'm like a humble person. No, I was humbled when someone showed me grace, and it changed my life. And so when, when someone wants to know, when someone says, hey, come be on my podcast, I say, you tell me when and where. Not because, just because, Lonnie, I like you and you've, you've extended an invitation to me, but because I want to live open-handed. There's nothing I know that you aren't privy to. You, there's nothing proprietary about what I have. It is yours as well. But that came because someone extended it to me. And so the talk that I gave was me doing my best to live that out in a real way. Um, and so... Cows and culture, the idea was, first of all, obviously the company that we founded was called Square Cow Movers, the shape, the animal, two O's and movers. And it's a play on words, movers with an extra O. There's where your cow comes from. Or the trucks are square in nature. Here we go. We're in business. And so because of most of the people in the room that I gave that talk didn't know my background, I wanted to make sure they knew the cows. The second is most of it's related to culture. Most of it is most of it's about how, what's our posture towards the exterior, towards our client, towards our, our, our colleagues? What's our posture even to the degree that if you're in traffic and you have Dalglish on the side of your vehicle, what's your posture to those around you? It matters. The words you say, the vernacular you use, the, the clothes you wear, it's all sending a message. Your body language. And so I've thought about this over the last 20 years a great deal. And what I wanted to convey at this all-hands meeting was how do you build a culture that is um, one that you're proud of? And so that's where it came from. And I hope you have the points because I don't have them in front of me. <laughs> so yeah, so well, uh, before you go to that, please, why culture? Hmm. So... And I, and I know the answer. I'm seeding it out there for you. Yeah, the absolutely. My personal opinion is there's nothing more important. There is nothing more foundational. How you nail together or frame together the house, how you pour the slab, how you put up the drywall, the degree to which uh, uh, the detail of your painting, it all goes back to the culture you have built. It all leaks from there. And it will define the way that people see your brand, the way they feel about your brand, 
the way that people interact with your brand will all be an extension of the culture you built. But luckily, it's something you just build and you put in and implement and it's done, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Which, I'm glad you said that. And I know, you're, I know to a degree you're, lob, you're lobbing this up to me. So I wanna, let me tell you how we did it at Square Cow. Because I want you guys to think about this. We have 15 minutes with our guys every day at Square Cow. And then they're gone. Yeah. Wow, they're in your living room. They're moving you that day, right? So how do you get a group of people who aren't accustomed to saying things like, hey, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. It'd be our pleasure to do that. How do you get them to tuck their shirts in and clean their dashboard off to a, to a group of people that are not accustomed to that? You preach and repeat it every single day. So what we have on the ground at all seven branches, actually eight branches of Square Cow Movers, we have a green square because that's our color and we're Square Cow Movers and everything's branded. That square is on the ground and at 7.45 a.m. everybody steps inside the square and this is where we preach and repeat. And it's the same four things every day. Now, there's two different topics, but it's the same four fundamental things. And we're going to talk about it every day because here's the deal. You want to put your culture in a handbook. You want to put it on the wall. It will never seep into the fabric of your business. But you repeat it and you pound it and you keep saying it. And what happens is this happened to us in our first few years. We realized this. It was about tucking our shirts in, which, guys, here's the deal. 38 seconds into a move, your, your, shirt, your shirt tail's stuck, untucked. This is just the reality. And we know this is a bit old school, and we're from Alabama. We're from deep south, guys. But here's the reality. Those three movers knock on the door of that client's house, and the client opens their door, and they see three guys with their shirt tails tucked in. They look them in the eye, introduce themselves. They look past those guys to the clean dashboard and the clean truck, and subconsciously they say, they take care of themselves. They're going to take care of my stuff. Absolutely. 100% of the time, they take care. They said things to me politely. They're going to take care of my stuff. The message you're sending is absolutely clear. You do not get the things I just described by just mentioning it or putting it on the poster or putting it in a handbook. Every single day, you hear the same things until it becomes a part of who you are. Yeah. So I guess part of the... um are saying at Doglish is being grounded in excellence. Yeah. So you, can you expand on that and, and kind of... It's my, it's my personal favorite thing that I've heard in terms of culture since being at Doglish. And I think Sarah showed me an image that said grounded in excellence my third day there. Mm. And I immediately um, gravitated towards it and remembered it. And this is so important about culture. I saw an image of it one time, and I'm a visual learner. I do not learn well through my ears, but I learn well through my eyes. And I remembered it from that point on, grounded in excellence. We had an earlier session from a gentleman named Travis that talked about what does excellence look like from a legal standpoint. He did a fantastic job. Mm, yeah. So I took the other angle of what does grounded look like? Okay, so if excellence, we all know what that looks like. We, we all know, we may not know what it looks like, but we know what it means, and we know when we see it. It's very clear when you watch Michael Jordan play basketball or Tiger Woods play golf, you're watching excellence, right? Yeah. Grounded's a little bit more murky. It's not clear. So I started looking up the definition of grounded. 
It means sensible, having one's feet on the ground. The way I took that is, it. how do you practically be grounded in excellence? So we know what excellence looks like. We know when we see it. But what is the practical application? What's the sensible way of living this out? And that's basically the, the, the perspective I took as I gave this talk. Yeah, so your first, your first point was sweating the small stuff. Yeah. So can you, can you expand on that? Absolutely. So this whole idea of um, sweating the small stuff is based on the opposite. I think we all get caught up in this lie, and I think it's poisonous, which are there are big things keeping me from where I want to be. So we, we do this comparison, and we know comparison is the thief of joy, right? So we compare ourselves to mm-hmm. other people. Maybe we compare ourselves to our neighbor who has a really expensive car or he goes on great trips and we say, well, he makes way more money than I do. Or we, we look at the competitor down the street that runs a business and say, well, they have access to technology we don't have. They have access to people we don't have. What I call BS on is that there are big things keeping you from where you are and where you want to go. I think the difference between where you are and where you want to go aren't big things. I think it's a lot of small things. So when we go to our guys, and again, most of my most of my examples are going to be square cow because I haven't been with Dalglish that long. And we say, hey, we need you to tuck your shirt in. Well, boss, why do I have to tuck your shirt, my shirt in? Because it's a small thing, and we embrace small things. Why do, we'll be driving down the street to this day if I pass one of the trucks. And I'm not even there in the day-to-day anymore. And there's a bunch of junk on the dashboard. I'll text the manager, and I'll say, hey, man, I just saw truck 37, and there's water bottles and paperwork on the dashboard. He'll jump right on it. Why? Because it's a small thing. And we embrace small things. The difference between Starbucks and the little guy isn't a bu- bunch of big things. It's a bunch of small things that they do well. Mm-hmm. And embracing small things feels counterintuitive to people. They think, you know what? I don't like to iron, so I'm going to wear this shirt wrinkled. That's a small thing. People take you more seriously when you're well-groomed. And when you're ironed, I don't want to get up and go run five miles. Well, the difference between that small thing and you being a healthy person is that five miles. Sweating the small stuff is not just accepting that you need to do it. It's embracing it. It's literally saying, that's a small thing. I want that. Mm. Give me that thing. Yeah. I want it to be a part of my life. God, there's so much to go into, but... (laughs) <laughs> we got to keep going. So your second point, which I, I think this is a big one, um, over-communication is a myth. Over-communication is mythology. Over-communication is mythology. Here's the deal, and I gave this point at the all hands. I've never had a client call me and say, I am so mad because you gave me too much information. Yeah. They don't say it. I'll tell you who else doesn't say it, my wife. She's never like, you have just completely overwhelmed me with communication, <laughs> right? Hey, yeah. why didn't, a few minutes ago before we started this podcast, I said, hey guys, I got about an hour and before I got to leave. Why? Because I had set an expectation with my wife 
I'm going to be home around this time. Over-communications mythology. And when we start scratching the surface at the right amount of communication, we're probably still not quite there. Clients need to fully understand when you're going to arrive, how much you think you're going to get done, where you left off, what's the status update, and when you're going to be back tomorrow. They never need to be left into confusion. This is so big for the industry that you guys are in because there's a level of um, mystery in what you guys do in construction. And I think, and I don't correct, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. You guys have been doing what you do so long in construction, you don't even know anymore. So in other words, you know the next thing after pouring the slab is X, or after you rough in plumbing, it's X. And so you start, you know it so well, and it's such a muscle that you've worked, that you kind of start assuming everybody else knows it. Mm. We had a we had an older lady call us one time at Square Cow and say, hey, you guys are packing and moving me next week. Do you pack or move me first? Well, that's our first inclination was to chuckle, right? Like, <laughs> but we we went a, we went a step further and we said, okay, she's been in this house for forty years. She's nervous. Yeah. She's uncomfortable, and we do this all the time. We yeah. do this every single day. How could you not know that we first pack you before we move you? What a condescending presumption to make. We know it so well, we don't even think about it anymore. We wake up every day, we eat, sleep, and breathe it. But what happens with that is this condescending nature that everybody knows what we know. So what do you have to do? You have to understand over-communications mythology. We know logically, in our heads, the things we know. Not everybody is up to speed with where you are. And embracing that and treating our clients that way is only going to put them in a better position to understand where the project is and where it's going. So your third point, it's attention to manage, not a problem to solve. Yeah. Expand on that. This is one of my favorites. Yeah. I did not come up with this. One of my favorite um, leadership and faith-based guys, a guy named Andy Stanley, I heard him do a talk on this. Tension to manage, not a problem to solve. And it actually... The reason I brought it to the all hands, because I've got about 140 different thoughts that I that I share, and then I pluck from those depending on what, what I'm going to. I'm glad we only said about 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm I don't want to <laughs> overwhelm you guys. Yeah, uh, but this is this is something I really enjoy is is keep talking keep about these things. But Adrian, um, who's here with us, actually planted this. And one day in passing, and actually not I don't even think he knew. He was talking about quality and he said something to the degree of early in my career I found out that quality is he didn't use these words attention to manage our problem to solve in other words if you want the highest level of quality it's gonna cost you both time and money and not every clients willing to concede that amount of time and money so it's not a problem you're solving for quality it's attention you're managing this is such an incredible thought for anybody that's running any type of company at Square Cal. It's staffing. We're ne- 
There's never been a time in 15 years, and there will never be a moment in time where staffing is not a top three issue. It is our business. Mm-hmm. We're never going to check the box and say, done with that. Glad that's behind us. Mm-hmm. You know what we do that with? Insurance. Once a year, we go through the insurance thing. We sign the deal. We write the check, and we're like, glad that's behind us. Very few things are that way. Most things are a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. So what does that mean? That means that staffing at SquareCal is, hey, you know what? In April, we better be staffing up because the busy season's coming. In September, October, we're trimming the fat, right? Because it's a tension to manage and not a problem to solve. And so in construction, this has to permeate your thinking all the time. The client's expectations around budget and timing is a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. You are never going to solve it. Mm. You're never going to get past it. Mm-hmm. You're never going to have a client that says, I do not care when, the, when this gets done or how much it costs. It's not going to happen. So it's a tension to manage, problem to solve. One of my favorite examples of this, Jeff Bezos did a letter to the stakeholders about seven or eight years ago. And in the letter, he recounts a a um, journalist asking him a question about how do you guys get new ideas and what do you how do how much do you focus on new ideas and he said this this is so brilliant he said you know what we focus on not new ideas things that will never change no one will ever get a package from Amazon and say I wish this would have got here later Mm. and no one's ever going to buy something from Amazon and say I wish I would have spent more so if we just focus on those two things, if we just focus on the fact that things, those things will never change, we're going to be okay. It's a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. And if you put yourself in a position to know we're never going to get this perfect, so we're always going to, it's always going to be a top three issue, it puts you in a position to always be massaging it, always be working it, and it puts you in a position to win with our clients. I think I have to ask, and I think this is a bit of... Fun, fun, but is it attention, A-T-T-E-N, or A space T-E-N? Is it attention or a tension? Yes, that's, you know I'm from Alabama, right? Okay, so roll Todd, and it is a tension, not attention, it's a tension. To manage. That's, Thanks for because that, that seems more appropriate. It's a tension to manage. That's exactly right. Tension it's manage. tension. It's they tense. both fit, but yeah. one's a bit more appropriate and relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank call. you for that for that clarification. Um, I I think we'll maybe go through five of these points. Sure, go ahead. But um, okay, so the next one: hate customer service. What's Ooh. up with that? Why? Why are you hating on customer service? Yeah, I mean, you're in the home care industry. Isn't that all about customer service? So, in there was a there was an email sent out um, two days after All Hands, where um, the questions were, "Let's get some feedback for the All Hands." And being an insecure communicator that I am, and someone that that cares too much probably about how others view me. I marched into Sarah's office uh, that Monday morning and said, how's the feedback <laughs> coming on all hands? And um, Sorry, I never responded to that. I, I that's know. okay. No, that's I great. Yeah. Do you want me to send... I can re- go find that email and respond to it. 
Actually, I would if okay. you don't mind. Yeah, I'll send it just great. to you. you can have I would love to. I would okay. love to get your feedback. <laughs> and, all feedback and, is good. Feedback. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's a there's a point um, that we may get to later that's that's talking about family. Um, but she said that your point about hating customer service didn't land. I was like, okay. Um, and just trying to absorb that. Okay, let's let. I did not. A couple of things are true in that statement. A, I did not communicate it well. Um, B, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, or or C, um, there's something there, but I haven't fully. It's it's half baked. Mm. But I'm going to give you the my version, my idea around it. Yeah. Okay. Customer service is. I'm working for you, therefore you're paying me. It's very transactional. It is very, you. the only reason I'm here, Lonnie, is because you're paying me to be here. That is customer service. Customer service is, to me, the lowest form of service. It's scraping the barrel of service because it's coming from a place of selfishness. Because I'm getting paid, I'm required to be here, and because I'm required to be here, I have to serve you. Okay. I despise this level of service. Mm. And I, again, going back to some of the things we talked about earlier, my um, my faith and some of the things that I've learned over the last 20 years of my career, there's something special about serving when you don't have to. I've been on a, a few trips where the purpose of those trips is to serve others. And here's the truth. You serve at a different level when you're there and you don't have to be. You remember it. It galvanizes who you are. You want to bring other people along and say, hey, man, you got to be a part of this. This is special. When you are doing it selflessly and customer service isn't about that. And so I think hate customer service just focus on serving mm. and serving at the highest level because when you are serving selflessly when you are serving when you don't have to you serve from the right place you're serving from the heart and here's the deal guys we're three dudes in a room and i know i'm getting to a place that's like a little hokey but this is just human nature when you show up when you don't have to and you say hey man Coach, put me in. What you need? I'm here. I got you. Something happens in that moment that you can't quite capture when someone's paying you. But here's what we know. We're in business and people are paying us. What I am attempting to articulate is serve as if there's not a transaction happening at the end of this job or at the end of this month. There's not going to be a schedule of value sent. We all know there is, but... Fake it till you make it. Hey, you know what? I'm just here to serve. And, and at Square Cow, we, we'd be at a retirement facility. This happened so often. The elderly lady would say, hey, I need you to sweep the floor. Well, my guys aren't there to sweep the floor. They're there to move furniture and boxes and get the heck out of there. And my guys would say, yes, ma'am, be my pleasure. They're there to serve. They're there to serve. We, we do a serve event every year, and I still am involved in this. It's at a foster home here in Austin that, that serves um, young females ages 12 to 18 before yeah. they age out. And they do this garage sale that raises money 
um, for their facility. And my wife's on the board of it, and we love this this uh, this um, organization. It's called Settlement Home. And every year we go and help them move all those items from their warehouse down to the Palmer Event Center for the event. And before we go in, I tell my guys, I said, here's the deal. There's going to be 12, 1,500 boxes you're going to move today in furniture and items. There's going to be times where there's no more boxes to move. Find something to do. Mm-hmm. Find something to do. Find a, a broom to sweep. Find a, a donut to give somebody. There's always something to do. Trying to, to plant that seed of it. We're just here to serve. That is so profound because you're, you're not only changing the way the, the people who, who work for you, you're not only changing the way they think, but that's having an, an, a profound impact on everybody they come in contact with. I pray you're right. And I think that's probably your goal because that's, that's having such an impact on these guys' lives. Amen. Um, I mean, I, I don't know the type of guys that are hired at Square Cow, but I, w- I would imagine that they're, they're probably the type of people who, who probably never had this example you know, in, in their lives. Rough around the edges. And you're providing them this example of, of how to serve others. That's it. And, uh, you know, they've never gotten that in their lives. And now they're having this impact on others. Yep. So that's this deeply profound. Uh, And as tough as as their situation may be, you're showing them an example of someone who has been put into foster care, who does not have, who has less than they do. We are so quick to take on the, the, the role of victim. Yeah. And there are times when you're exposed to those that have it mm-hmm. so much harder than you, and yeah. it changes your perspective. It's all about perspective. All about perspective. So, last point I want to get to, at least today, uh, number five, you talked about don't do crazy. Yeah. What, what does that mean? What does don't do crazy? It has to do with women. <laughs> there's a, there's Probably, an element. right? Yeah, cheers, cheers to that. There's yeah. an element. There's an element to that. I want the 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 way that I that I typically like to make this point. I want people to imagine themselves at the at their dinner table with their wife, Adrian, um, and their, and and let's say three children. Um, and again, this is this is one of those of the of the ten. I think. Two or three of them I had borrowed from um, other resources. The others were were mostly my thoughts. You're at the dinner table, and you're with your wife and three children at home. And it's a there's not, not a special occasion. It's a it's an everyday day. It's a it's a Tuesday. You know, my kids are now 14, 15, 16, freshman, sophomore, junior in, in high school. Yeah, but I remember those days when we had um, a a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, you know, those, the three-year-old and four-year-old had kind of graduated from the high chair and were kind of behaving themselves more or less. And what I remember about that season was our attention was on that two-year-old. 
Why, why is that? Because the two-year-old is losing their mind. They're throwing their fork, and they want to, they, the last thing they want is to be confined to this chair, and they don't want to eat their peas, and all they want is dessert, and they're crying. And guess what? It's a, the witching hour. It's the end of the day. It's the worst part of the day. And this is, this is how we operate in our lives. This is how we operate our businesses, how we operate within our teams. The person screaming the most gets the most of our attention. And it's not fair. Mm-hmm. The client that throws the biggest fit gets exponentially more attention than the client who treats you with respect and compassion and patience. And I think that's unfortunate. You have that sub every time, you know, that HVAC guy is the biggest jerk. He's arrogant. He shows up when he wants to show up. He barks on the price. He doubles back. It's warranty work. He doesn't want to do warranty work. While your painter and your framer and your plumber are sitting there doing their work. And who gets the most of your bandwidth? the HVAC guy. And it's not fair. Don't do crazy is, hey, I'll tell you what, the threshold to get to crazy land is far. But once you go to crazy land, I don't do crazy. I'm going to focus on those at the table who are trying to help us win. I'm going to focus on those at the table that are trying to help us grow. I'm going to focus on the, those at the table that are trying to help us get this project completed. And the quicker that you can move crazy out and bring in somebody else that is there to help everybody win, here's the deal, guys. The entire team gets elevated. And you didn't even realize it. You were like, I can't believe how big of a burden that one trade was or how that one team member was or how that one person. Here's what we have in my house. We have a no drama rule. You think about having a 14-year-old girl with no drama rule. It is not popular. Mm. But my daughter, Harley, will bring something. She's a cheerleader. She's cute as a button, smart. She'll bring something home. We'll say, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like drama, and we don't do drama. (laughs) I like that rule. Yeah, Yeah. and we have a rule, and my kids know it. We say, well, you know, this person wasn't invited to this, and I'm like, that's drama. We're not doing drama. That's not what we're... We've had in our past where... You know, a neighbor or someone's trying to bring chaos to our house, and Kimberly and I are so diligent. You know what that is? That's drama and chaos. We're not going to do it. You know what we're not going to do? We're not going to do crazy. And here's the deal most of the time, Lonnie, Adrian, we have a choice. And we either invite it in, which is the worst, or we let it stay in, which is the second worst, or we say, we're not doing crazy. That's not what we're going to do. We're not going to do it today. We're not going to do it tomorrow. We, we are not going to sit around and pander to someone who is subpar. Mm. Either, even if their skill level's great, but their EQ, their ability to work with others is low, they have no business on this project. And when we allow it or we invite it, it's not on them. It's on you. And so this, this line in the sand of, by the way, guys, it's hard to get to crazy. And if, you're, if your threshold for crazy is too low, then everybody's crazy, and guess what? You're the problem. So you need to make sure the threshold's far. Mm. But once you get there, we don't do crazy. And that's where you are. 
And so we're not doing this anymore. And so I will tell you, very few things, as far as my family goes or professionally, have made a bigger impact than this line in the sand and said, we're not doing it because it's our choice. I like that. If your threshold is too low, then you're crazy. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're the crazy one. You're yeah. the problem. That's right. Yes. Too low. You have to give that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's a good. Absolutely. Yeah. Wade, I, I want to be respectful to your time. So I know you made a promise to your wife. Yeah. You're going to be home at a certain time. So I want to wrap this up. But we, we got to through half of your presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you gave 10 points initially. But can we have you back on? Oh, anytime, man. Can, we, can we finish? Can we wrap this up later? I'm looking around and I'm thinking, <laughs> I'd come here any day of the week, man. You just say when and I'll be here. I, uh, yeah, God, there's, there's so much. I, I can't wait to kind of re-listen to this because there's, there's so much packed in everything you said. I don't know how old you are, but you have wisdom beyond your years. And um, I really appreciate your view on everything. And uh, I, I appreciate your time. appreciate you coming on. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I really want to get you back on to kind of finish this discussion. I feel like we're, we're kind of putting a, 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 a mark, a bookmark, you know, where we left off. Mm-hmm. I want to pick this up. But, uh, Wade, I really appreciate your time. Love it, guys. Thank you all for having me. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Wade. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram. We want to hear from you, so leave us some feedback to help us shape future episodes.